Amen to that. That he's a defender. You know, the Bible gives a lot of different names or titles uh, to the Lord in heaven. And he is a defender of our faith, a defender of our lives. He's also a great provider. And uh, we know that from the stories of Israel and in the Old Testament. We're just grateful that God is interacting with us at all times. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, some of you said it was a little sketchy uh, coming across the uh, parking lot. Uh, some of you said, man, the roads were great all the way in until we got here, you know. And, uh, you know, our parking lot is our parking lot. It pools in some places, and so you have to be careful when you come in. And so we're glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're doing that. But, uh, you know, if you can make it sometime and join us here, we'd love to have you to rub shoulders with us, to fellowship with us, to enjoy communion together. It's always good to be able to do that kind of thing. One thing I might mention about Venezuela, Dave mentioned it uh, earlier, you can still, if you weren't prepared last week and didn't get it done this week, you can still give toward that effort in Venezuela with the Lugos. And you can do that either today by doing it on an envelope right down Venezuela. If you can't spell that, write Lugos, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And or you can go online and uh, you can uh, give there because we're going to total those things up probably somewhere around midweek and try to get those funds moving. Uh, toward the Lugos, okay? So you can still do that. We're in this series, Lost in a Crowd, and uh, last week we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, which was really feeding of the 10,000, right? And we understood that, and we talked about that, and how that worked in Scripture, and how God has been working to help the crowd look toward Him, to come toward Him, to uh, see themselves as being able to come to Jesus. But today Jesus begins... To talk about some harder things. Jesus begins to do what we see done in our culture and all along in history. Jesus begins to thin the crowd. He begins to mention some hard things. He begins to talk about things that, that people don't like to talk about. And he begins to call them to be true followers of his. Not just those who would come along for the ride, but those who would separate from the uklos, the larger crowd, and be true followers of Jesus Christ. But before we dive into that, I want to pray with you, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of having your word, of being able to study it, to know it, to apply it. And Father, I pray today as we begin to talk about what you talked about, some of the harder truths in Scripture. And I pray, Father, we will take those truths and we'll examine them and we'll decide it's worth it. It's worth it to follow you. So, God, I pray we'll make decisions even here today that will affect how we live out life. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you remember on the playground when you were in elementary school playing a game called Red Rover? Anybody played Red Rover when you were young? Oh, yeah. Yeah, many of you have. Those who didn't raise their hands, too young to remember that game. Red Rover was a game where I went on the playground when I was in elementary school, and we'd pick up two teams. And one team would go about, I don't know, 15, 20 yards away, and the other team would stand on this side, and you'd have two teams, and you'd stretch out, and uh, you would hold hands. And you would stretch out till your arms were extended. 
And then the other team, if they were going first, they would say, Red Rover, Red Rover, we're sending, and I'll use my name, Fred over, you know. Now in the elementary days, I was built like a little jelly roll, and um, don't laugh, and, um, and I was kind of glow to the ground, and I could really move, I was pretty fast, and so usually the team that had me would send me first, and the idea was you'd run across the playground, you'd hit that other line, and in between bodies where they were holding hands, you would try to break through. And if you broke through, then you got to take one of their people back to your team. Okay? You were going to thin their ranks. And as you thinned their ranks, if they got down to only having two people left, and you had somebody go across and bust right through, and that left them with one, you win. You know? The idea was to thin down their team, to get it down to where they had nothing left, and then you won. Red Rover, Red Rover. We're sending Fred over. I always remember that, you know. Now, I didn't get to go every single time, you know. You had to use other people on your team. And sometimes when you went across, and if you're going full speed, they wouldn't even hold hands. They would just drop their hands and let you go through, you know. Now, where we played, where we played, if you did that, if you did that, you had to give up two people. You had to hold on. Now, today on the playgrounds, if you're a teacher, you know this, they won't let you play Red Rover. Too many injuries, okay? Uh, too many kids uh, coming together, smacking foreheads, that kind of thing, trying to hold the line. But man, when I played, we played. And if you didn't bleed going in from recess, you weren't playing Red Rover. You were doing something else, you know? You thinned the ranks. That's been happening throughout history. If you want to be in the military services and you want to be in special services, you know, if you want to be a Navy SEAL, if you want to be a, an airborne ranger army, if you want to be a Marine Corps Force Recon Unit member, then they thin your ranks. In fact, if you have 30 people in Navy SEAL training, if you have 30 people in your class trying to become a Navy SEAL, they go at you and try to break you down, and they give you certain things that they think you ought to be able to do in order to be able to be a Navy SEAL. Like, you have to be able to swim 500 yards, breaststroke or side stroke, 500 yards, optimum, 9 minutes, 30 seconds. If you can't do it under 11, you're not a Navy SEAL. And you got to be able to do 200 push-ups in no 100 push-ups in two minutes you got to do 100 sit-ups in two minutes if i just think about 100 sit-ups i'm done you know you got to be able to run a mile and a half in nine minutes 30 seconds optimum if you do it more than 10 and a half to 11 you're not a navy seal why do they do that to thin down the ranks to get down to the best of the best. And those are the people who serve in special forces, are those who can do those kinds of hard things. When my son was playing football, he started out in junior football league, and, and, and we had about 12 teams. I coached his team. They had about 12 teams. Each team had 11, 12 kids on each team. You know, you're talking about 125, 135, 40 kids playing at the fifth and sixth grade level. Well, then you move up to seventh grade, and guess what? At seventh grade, there were only about 75 kids that came out. And then eighth grade, he only had about 50 kids that came out. 
And then his freshman year, there were only like 42, 43 kids on the freshman team. And by the time my son was playing as a sophomore and a junior, in his class, there were only about 18 kids still playing football. You know why? Because some kids realize they don't like football. And some kids realize they don't like getting hit. And, and you know what the rule is in football? You hit first, right? And so I figured that out when I was young. And so if you don't like to get hit and you don't like hitting, then you shouldn't be playing football. And the point was, was that as the coaches saw it happen and saw it go along, as the kids got older, some went to baseball, some went to basketball, some went to band, some decided they didn't like athletics, and it thinned the ranks. It's a normal process. It's what happens. It happens in life. Jesus talked about it. When Jesus talked about thinning the ranks, he, he talked about being a follower of his. And I want you to know this. Jesus wants sold out, unashamed, committed followers. That's what he wants. And so when he talks about that kind of thing in Scripture, when he teaches them a, a passage or, or a parable or, or a lesson that uh, they need to understand, need to know, the key word here is committed. You've got to be committed in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're either in or you're out. It's one of the two. You're either in or you're out. When you talk about commitment, you talk about things like this. I want to show you a picture of some ants, and uh, you'll look at the screen. I think we have that. And, and these ants have to be committed to move this rock. We don't have that? Oh, they're up here. I'm not seeing it here. There they are, and uh, those ants are moving that rock. Now, let me ask you something. Look at the size of the rock, and look at the four ants trying to get it done. I mean, that's commitment. And when I saw that picture, I thought, whoa, those guys are committed to getting that rock to wherever it's supposed to be. Maybe away from the entrance to their tunnel. I don't know. Maybe into your basement where they will build a home and enjoy life, you know. Uh, I don't know what they're doing, but they're committed to getting it done. It was Vince Lombardi, Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, who once said this, the quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment to excellence, regardless of their chosen field of endeavor. It's a commitment to excellence. It's a commitment to what you do. You're either in or you're out. And Abraham Lincoln, our president, said this, commitment is what transforms a promise into reality. You see, you can make a promise, but unless you're committed to keeping that promise, it never becomes a reality. You see, commitment's a key, and Jesus wanted that to be a part of his followers' lives, his disciples, and every single one of us. What uh, really, what really thins a crowd? You know, when you think about it, what really thins a crowd? Well, there are three things, I think, that, that come up right away. Number one, um, when you're thinking about being either in or out, you're thinking about that, that statement, are you in or are you out, are you all in, that kind of thing. Well, here's what it is. There are three things, I think, that, that separate uh, true followers from those who are just faking it. Number one is hard truths. Hard truths will often thin a crowd. You know, in, in, uh, in the gospel stories, in, in the gospel of John, in chapter 6, 
that passage of Scripture where Jesus looks at the crowd. And uh, we want to show you that passage. And John 6, it says, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? Who can do this? And whether his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? <laughs> then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they're full of the Spirit and of life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time, many of his disciples, listen now, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12 disciples. And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So you're not going to leave too, are you? That's what Jesus said to the crowd, to the Akos. Are you going to leave? Just because I begin to talk about some hard, more difficult things and how to live life, are you going to leave as well? And Peter spoke up for the twelve, and yet many in the crowd left. The crowd thinned. Over in Luke, the 14th chapter, Jesus looked at the crowd, especially his disciples, and said, let me tell you this. He said, unless you are able to hate your own mother, your own father, your own sister, your own brother, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, did Jesus really mean hate your parents, hate your brothers and sisters? No. What he was saying was, unless I'm the priority in your life, Unless I'm the priority over everything else and everyone else, you cannot be my disciple. That's a hard thing to take in. That's a hard thing to think about, isn't it? It's a hard thing to bring in. So hard truths can thin a crowd. Opinions can do the same thing. Opinions can thin a crowd, especially if you have a political opinion. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that happen before. I walked into a room not too long ago where two people were talking about uh, the political scene in America today, and man, they were just going at it, and they were just griping and com complaining, and just, I mean, it was just back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and you know what? I could hardly take it. And here's my prayer. I prayed that day. Lord, help me to bite my tongue, you know, because I didn't want to get into it. I didn't want to be in the conversation. I didn't want to be a part of that. I just wanted to get out. It thins the crowd when there's a political opinion being given or other types of opinion as well. You know what? Sometimes those opinions create gaps between brothers and sisters. I've seen two good men, two good men who said they wanted to follow Jesus who had differing political opinions. They got so upset with one another they wouldn't even talk to one another. They went to the same church. That's no good. That's no good. So sometimes opinions can thin a crowd. And there's another thing. There's a third thing that can thin a crowd. And sometimes we understand this and sometimes we don't. But power struggles can thin a crowd and power struggles can kill a church. 
Power struggles are people who want their way, and these people want their way, and they can't seem to get their way, and so there's this power struggle that takes place. It happens in business, it happens in your communities, and it happens in churches. And I've seen churches die because there were power struggles going on within the church. None of those things are good, but they do thin crowds. And you could name others, you could add them to the list, but Jesus began to speak hard truths into the lives of his followers. And as I showed you earlier in John 6, many of them began to leave because they couldn't deal with what Jesus was talking about. So take your Bibles today and go to Luke, the 11th chapter, will you? Luke, the 11th chapter, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture here. We're going to talk about being lost in the crowd, but how the crowd begins to thin down and some of the hard things that Jesus was talking about. Beginning in verse 14 of Luke 11, the Bible reads like this. Now Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, well, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Hmm. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, then by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted, and he divides it up with the spoils. Here's a key verse, verse 23. He who is not with me is against me. Hmm. Hmm. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And when an evil spirit comes out of a man... A demon-possessed man, the evil spirit comes out. It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. Now when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and they live there. My translation, the Fred Rodkey translation, says, and they have a party in the guy's life. And the final condition of the man is worse than it was before. Hmm. And Jesus was saying these things. A woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. <laughs> and Jesus said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and they obey it. Verse 28 is a key. Verse 28 is a key, although verse 23 gives you the hard thing to deal with. Verse 28 is the key to being a true follower of Jesus Christ. There are two things that come out of verse 28 that we need to know today. The first one is this. It's really simple. It's, it's simple about faith. Faith comes to those who hear the word of God. Faith comes to those who hear the word of God. Now, what do we know about that? Well... First of all, we know that, that you need to hear the Word of God in order to become a true follower of Jesus. You don't just need to watch somebody else doing it. I mean, that happens every once in a while. 
You know, somebody sees you living out your life for Jesus and they say, wow. And you're saying, man, I'm doing a lifestyle evangelism. I, I, I'm gonna, this person's going to come and become a Christian because of the way I live. Is that true? Well, sometimes it may open the door. It may open the door for them to come. But the Bible doesn't say that people gain, gain faith by watching you live out yours. Romans 10, 17 says it differently. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. It doesn't say people gain faith by watching you live yours out. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you've got to hear the word of God. And when you hear the word of God, then you've got to be able to, to do something with it. You've got to be able to, to take it into your life and, and make it happen. In fact, when people come because you're living out your life for Jesus and you're doing the hard things and, and you're being a good follower of Jesus, when people come and begin to ask questions, that's when you need to be prepared to tell them about Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That means set him apart. Set me apart as Christ is the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Two things. Set apart Christ as Lord and be ready to show them your hope. And your hope is in who? It's in Jesus Christ. In fact, we know that it's in Christ and Christ alone that you have your hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 says this. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this majesty, majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, it's Jesus Christ in you. It's you living out your faith. It's you being prepared to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else that will bring them. And every day you've got to make a choice to do that. Every day you've got to make a choice to live your life for Jesus. And our choice is between good and evil. There are no other choices. Do you get it? That's what Jesus is saying. You're either with me or not. You're either on my team or not. There's no riding the fence. There's no put, putting one foot in the kingdom and keeping one foot in the world. There's nothing there that says that. Jesus says, you're either on my team or not. You're either in or you're out. And that was hard. That was hard for people to hear. Because you'll probably agree with me. There are a lot of people who, who like to do that, you know, because they like the things of the world. And when Jesus says, it's either me or nothing... They, they want to do both. So they declare to be a follower of Jesus, and yet they still linger around with things of the world. And Jesus said he can't do that. Verse 23 again, He who is not with me is against me. If you're not following, then you're not with me. If you've not made the decision every day, you're not with me. And some people say, oh, oh we are, until we're not. You know, we are until, you know, something else comes along. Seems a little like fun. It's kind of like this. A few years ago, MSNBC uh, did a story on a group of new vegetarians. Now, put that in your head. New vegetarians, okay? <laughs> I find this funny. They interviewed one of the new vegetarians. She was a 28-year-old named Christy Pugh. And one of her quotes in the news story 
it was her viewpoint of the whole group. And she said, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. What? She represents a growing number of people who eat vegetarian, but they make some exceptions. They don't eat meat unless they really like it. Yeah. Okay. As you can imagine, the real vegetarians aren't real happy about these new vegetarians, so they put some pressure on and said, you've got to find your own name. And so they did. The name of this group now is called Flexitarians. <laughs> Flexitarians. Christy Pugh explains it this way, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm just not 100% committed. Oh, it happens in Christianity. Oh, I really like Jesus. I, re I, really, I really do. But you know, I, I really don't like serving the poor. Oh, I really like Jesus, but, you know, going to church, I mean, you know, that's not really my bag. Oh, I really like Jesus, but my resources are spoken for. I mean, I got two houses and a vacation spot and a boat and, you know, so... That giving thing, that's really not for me. And I really like Jesus, but don't ask me to save sex for my marriage. And I really like Jesus. I really do. I really like him. But don't ask me to forgive that person that really, really hurt me deeply. I really like Jesus. But I'm just not... 100% committed. Hmm. Really? I mean, when Jesus started saying these things, I'm sure he heard some of that. Hey, Jesus, I really like you, but man, don't ask me to do that. Faith, faith comes to those who hear the word of God. And then blessings come to those who obey the word of God. Did you see verse 28? Did you see those two things? In verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and they obey it. They obey the word of God. In, his, in a book uh, recently published, it's called Unchristian, George Barna and his research group reported that 65% of 18 to 42-year-olds in America have made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important to them. That sounds promising. And on the surface, that seems real encouraging. But how many of those are followers? Well, if you dig deeper in the research, it also shows that only 23% of those people believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong. What? Only 23%. And only 13% of those people said getting drunk is a sin. Hmm. And the list goes on and on and on. In other words, 65% say they are committed to Jesus, but most of them are not committed to Jesus in every area of their life. And in the report, Barna writes, and Jesus never left open the option of selective commitment. Oh yeah, I like Jesus, 
Just don't ask me to do that. Or I, I like Jesus, but Jesus, don't. Oh, come on, Jesus, don't do that. Really? Really? Are you in or are you out? You remember what happened? You remember what happened in the story? You're either with me or not, Jesus said. Oswald Chambers, a great writer, writes this in this quote. He says, neutrality in religion is always cowardice. If you want to pick a neutral position, that's a cowardly thing to do. You're either stand for Jesus or not. You're either going to be with him or not. And this is part of the hard thing. And as Jesus says these things, the crowds begin to thin. People are leaving. People don't want to hear it. People don't want to deal with these hard things. In fact, uh, in two different passages, I want to show you these passages, two different passages, we find that Jesus challenges the crowd again. Note this one. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? Luke 6, 46. And in verse 47, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep, laid a good foundation on the rock, and when a flood came, the torrent struck, and that house could not be shaken because it was well built. Now, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, and the moment that the torrent struck that house, it collapsed. And its destruction, ah, it was complete. That life was wiped out taken away. Another passage, it says that Jesus' mother and his brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of a crowd. Someone told him, your mom and your brothers are standing outside. They want to get to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Wow. Wow. Think about the guy who had the demon thrown out. Everything got cleaned up, bright and shiny on the inside of his life, looked really good, but then the demon went away and said, you know what, I'll go try that life again. And he came back, and because nothing good had been put in place of the demon that had been thrown out, they moved back in. What are you doing with your life? Are you putting God's word in where the bad stuff's getting out? Are you allowing that to make a change in you? Are you obeying the word? You're hearing it, then doing something about it, practicing it? I hope so. Because if not, those old things that you got rid of are going to come back. You got to replace the void with the good stuff of God. Yeah. That's what Jesus was saying. He was asking them to follow him. You see, because Jesus wants sold out, unashamed, committed followers who will stand with him? Who will stand with him? Who will not be ashamed of the gospel? Who will not be ashamed of the name of Jesus? And who will stand with him at every turn? These are hard things. These are hard truths. But they're the ones that we need to understand. And we need to know. I, in a book called Not a Fan. How many of you read Not a Fan? We did that as a study here a few years ago. Not a Fan. Kyle Eidelman. If you've read the book, you need to read it again. If you haven't read the book, you need to get it and read it. Okay? 
In the book, Not a Fan, Kyle tells a story about how he went back home to visit his grandma. And his grandpa had passed away, you know, earlier before. And so he came back and he went to see his grandma. And his grandma missed his grandpa just intensely. And they had been married almost 60 years, had done everything together, served together, all those kind of things. And, uh, and Kyle said, well, let's, you know, we'll go visit the gravesite. So they did. They went to the gravesite, and his grandmother was talking about how sometimes she still calls into another room out of habit. And sometimes she still reaches out to touch him at night out of habit. She went on to talk about how much they loved one another and everything else. And Kyle said he just stood there and listened to his grandma. And then she said, and I can't wait to get to heaven. Because I can't wait to get to heaven and see. And he knew his granddad's name was going to be there. And, but she said this, I can't wait to get to heaven and see Jesus. Jesus. And Kyle writes in his book, that's the heart of a follower. When Jesus is your first thought. When Jesus is the one you want to see. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to know this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily and follow me. You see, because if you don't, you know, that be like those people who were probably leaving and thinning the crowd and not staying with Jesus because the things were too hard to do or they didn't want to do them. If you want to be a follower of his, then hear the word and obey it in your life. Put it into practice and let God lead you. There's a story that floats around preaching circles. Casey, I'm sure you've heard this story. It's about a veteran missionary. He'd been on the mission field for over 30 years. And he decided it was time to come home. He hadn't been to the United States in over 30 years. And he came home and he was going to go and live out the remainder of his life in the Midwest with his daughter. And so he hit the, the Golden Coast, California, and he, he came in on a flight. He grabbed a bus ticket and he started heading toward the Midwest. But the first leg of the journey stopped and the bus line stopped in Las Vegas and they didn't have another bus leaving till the next morning. And so the missionary got a hotel room and he was going to stay overnight and get up early and get on the bus and, and head on to his, his Midwest to his daughters and that kind of thing. And uh, he got to his hotel room and it was a high rise thing and he got in there and he looked out the window. He thought, man, I, I've never been to Las Vegas. I've never been here. I ought to go see what it's like. So he went downstairs, he walked out on the Las Vegas Strip, and man, the lights were incredible, he said. And, and the advertising for all the food you could get, the seafood and steaks and all kinds of buffets and that kind of stuff. And, and he was seeing that. He heard slot machines paying off and people screaming. And he just saw this. He saw automobile show that, that had all the latest cars. And he had never even driven a car for over 30 years. He went in and looked at all those cars and he finished walking up and down the strip and he was getting tired and he went back to his room and just thinking about everything he'd seen and he got to the door of his room and he opened it and he closed it and he didn't turn on the light. He walked across the room and he opened the curtains and he looked down on the strip and he looked up into the heavens and he got down on his knees and he prayed this prayer.
Say, God, I thank you that I have not seen anything that I want more than I want you. He's a follower. He's a follower. He's on God's team. That missionary, he's in. Fully in. The question is, are you? Are you in or are you out? Are you making excuses so you can do what you want to do? Or are you listening to the hard things that Jesus brings to the table and saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to be a follower of yours. Today, you need to answer that question. Today, you need to decide if you're in or you're out. If you're with Jesus or not. If you're just playing around or if you're going to get serious and be committed to what he wants you to do. Because Jesus is looking for sold out, unashamed, committed followers who will stand with him. Are you one? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a decision song. And if you want to follow Jesus with everything you've got, you have the opportunity to make that choice today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for challenging us in your word. And for the hard things that you spoke about here today, Lord, and other places in the Gospels. Father, we're grateful because it makes us examine who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so God, keep us focused on those things. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to fill ourselves up with your word and to practice it every day so that our demons won't come back. And Father, help us to stay committed no matter what comes against us. Thank you so much for what Jesus did for us. It would have been impossible for us to do. And so he did it for us so we could have eternal life and we could have a life here that's abundant. And so God help us to choose that abundance in him. Thank you so much for Jesus, his sacrifice and his love for what you did by sending him. So it's in his name and in your grace, and in your power that we pray. Amen and amen.